for uh, sermons as we preach through uh, books of the Bible at a time, which is a great practice to do, except when you run up on uh, certain holidays and everybody's thinking about Christmas or Easter or something like that. So sometimes you have to change to address that. Well, this year we've been looking at 2 Corinthians and we're up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and that speaks directly to the resurrection. So we didn't need to change anything. We're right in line with where we should be. And so uh, I think that's, for me anyway, that's an encouraging thing because I can just preach the sermon today that I would preach anyway without Easter pressure. So um, let me read to you 2 Corinthians four thirteen through 18. That text is in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So I am willing to uh, guess this morning that no one got up this morning and their first thought as they thought about coming to church on Easter Sunday was, I want to go to church and I want to lose heart. I want to go and be with those people. I want to sing those songs. I want to read that scripture. I want to pray those prayers and go with those people for the purpose of being discouraged. Right? I mean, nobody likes being discouraged unless there's something wrong with you. So if you did come this morning wanting to be discouraged, we have a counseling ministry here and we'll be more than willing uh, to help you out with that a little bit uh, a little bit later. But the fact of the matter is all of us recognize the fact that we live in a world and we live in a place. We live in a situation where the temptation to lose heart is with us all the time. All right. So. Uh, and, and the fact is, none of us wants to, to lose heart, even in the middle of circumstances that would tempt us to do just that. Because the truth of the matter is, our renewal, our sense of having heart, our sense, as Paul says here, of experiencing some, some joy and some encouragement in life waxes and wanes. It comes and it goes. It just does. Right? You can't... Uh, uh, and, 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 and that's just the way it is because we run into different things, different situations, discouraging things, challenging things all the time. So, so what might this morning cause you uh, to lose heart? What might do that? Well, one thing certainly is the, the world, right? Uh, trust me, somewhere in the world, something bad is happening right now. It's just the world in which we live. And the fact is, because of the connectivity that's in the world today, we know about it almost before it happens that these things are happening. Uh, Jesus predicted that uh, that there would be wars and rumors of wars until he returned. And the fact of the matter is, the world is in uh, a challenging, challenging place. Secondly, your own situation. Maybe this morning you woke up and you thought, you know what? Uh, 
My body doesn't work the way it used to. My mind doesn't work the way it used to. Or, or, or maybe you woke up this morning and you thought it sure would be great if, if there were somebody to love me. Or it would sure be great to not be so lonely. Or it would sure be great to have somebody who, who would tell me today that they were glad to see me. Or it'll be, you know, today's a great day and I look forward to all the fun and the excitement and the beauty that is Easter. But I had to go to work tomorrow with an office full of losers and jerks. <laughs> right? Uh, which, by the way, you're a part of that office. So let's just be, let's you know, let's just be clear about how how this works. So, um, so, so the fact of the matter is, and by the way, let me just say, as I look out upon you this morning, that is there not a better day than Easter to wear pastels? <laughs> I mean, really, really, I, uh, I just think. What what better day to do that? And you, all of you who know me just know that when I look out upon you, it just reminds me of a beautiful Easter basket of colored eggs. How wonderfully we all look here this morning, right? Yeah. Ha. Ha. <laughs> right? There you go. So enough of that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, Every one of us uh, has situations going on in our lives or, or uh, that, that might really, really, really be, tempt us uh, to lose heart. Maybe your own body today is tempting you to lose heart. You've got aches and pains or, or you, you recognize that things don't work the way they used to. Or you have friends and family who are sick or who experience chronic pain. Nothing, nothing is more uh, maddening or nothing makes you sadder, I think than having to deal with chronic pain, right? And so those things that that, that war against us, that that come against us in our bodies that we feel physically or that that, uh, happen to people that we love will tempt us to lose heart. And then maybe this morning a thing that might tempt you to lose heart is your own sin. You know, as you've thought back about your week and as you thought uh, about who you were and what you did, how many times you lost your temper or got frustrated, how many times you gossiped or lusted, how many times you, uh, um, well, just gave into your addiction, whatever it might be. And, and those things weigh upon you and it feels to you and it feels to us often and, and drives the temptation to lose heart is that our sin and the brokenness that we experience is actually bigger and more powerful than the gospel we profess to believe. So, and you might have even been tempted this morning to lose heart with the scripture that I read, because when you hear the apostle Paul say that your affliction and your trouble are light and momentary, you may think, ha, who says, right? I know what my affliction is like. I know what my, my situation is like, and there's nothing momentary about it because I live with it every day. And there's nothing slight about it because it's killing me. Right? And to hear this very glib Bible passage, that's why I don't like the Bible anyway. It always minimizes my pain and trains Christians to be Pollyannish about the world. And that everything is just fine. Put on a happy face. And so it may tempt you to lose heart this morning. Uh, to read and to hear 
that the Apostle Paul, who has said earlier in this book that he's despaired of life itself a number of times, that he has been crushed and perplexed and distracted and challenged in every way, that he considers this affliction that he's experiencing to be light and momentary. You see, what he's saying to us in this text is we do not lose heart precisely because the resurrection is planted in the world of, in the land of the dying and the decaying. That's the thing that is so marvelous about the Christian gospel is it has real uh, oomph in time and in space because what we recognize and what we see is that Jesus Christ had a real body that was really nailed to a board that really killed him, that was really buried, and that now he is risen from the dead. And because we are united to him, we have that promise. And that promise stands to us in the midst of a world that we can see and we can experience and we can feel that is dying and decaying. Uh, my, my, uh, one of my sons came to see me yesterday and praise the Lord, he has bought his own car. He has his own car, his first car that he bought. He owns it. It's his car. And uh, he, um, he's really proud of that car. And you know what? I'm, I am so proud of that car too. <laughs> and it is amazing how much better he takes care of that car than any of my cars. It's just amazing. It's wonderful. It's good to see that. So uh, uh, he, he came and, of course, you know, we're talking. Everything's fine. And he's like, wow, I really need an oil change. Can you help me with that, Dad? So I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to get the car. I'll go get you an oil change. So we take the car to the place to get the oil change. And uh, when it's done, I take him back there, drop him off. I come back by here to the church to make sure the flowers are here and everything's hunky-dory. And when I walk in the door at home, he's like, Dad, look at the bill. And I look at the bill, and it says there's, there's oil leaking before they change the oil in the car. Well, for an obsessive compulsive kid like him, that is like, what am I going to do? I, you know, I can't, it's just, it's just killing him. He's got this new car and it's, you know, and, and it's already leaking oil and on and on and on and on. You know, you can just see the anxiety building up with him. He's got his girlfriend with him and, you know, that makes him look bad if his car smells like burning oil or whatever. And I just look at him and I said, son, guess what? Every car breaks. This car that you're seeing right here, it's going away. He's like, what? Yes, it is breaking down before your very eyes. And there will be a day when this car will no longer be. It'll be gone. It will have decayed into a rusty pile of nothing. It'll just be gone. It's well on its way to doing that. He's like, yeah, how can that be? I still owe so much money on it. And I'm like, yes, yes. Welcome to adulthood and welcome to the world that is broken and decaying and falling apart. Because that's the way this stuff in this world is. So when we proclaim that Jesus Christ was really dead, and we say today that his tomb is really empty and he is really risen from the dead, we say that, we announce that, we believe that, in the midst of and to a world that is wrapped up in death and decay. And that is why Paul can say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the driver behind his ability to say he does not lose heart. 
And you see, that's the fundamental thing that we have to see about this, that the Christian gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ taking on flesh, living our life, dying our death and rising again, speaks directly to not some kind of ethereal, spiritual unreality out there, but happens in time and space and addresses the very real world where people die of cancer, where where people age and sicken and die. Where, where machines and things that we count on break, where systems and, in cultures and societies oppress people. It is precisely in a place like this, it is precisely in a situation like that, that Jesus Christ came and that we can say that because of the resurrection, the way things are is not the way things will be. And so as Paul unpacks this text for us, one of the things that he wants us to see, and, and one of the things that may, may seem a little bit uh, odd to you, is what he says uh, right here uh, in this text, where he says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak. Now you may hear that and you may think, that, that just seems like kind of a throwaway verse in the middle of this text, because it just, of course, whatever people believe, that's what they're going to speak. Let me give you a little uh, primer real quickly on Bible study. Very often in the New Testament, when you read an Old Testament passage, the author of that New Testament passage will just cite one verse. But what he wants his his listeners, his readers to think of is the whole text, the whole context from which that that verse came. And this this statement here about uh, we we believe and so we spoke comes from Psalm 116. Uh, Psalm 116 is uh, is a dear psalm to me because it's the psalm I read to my mom uh, right before she died back in August. Uh, And uh, how ironic that it's in this text on Easter Sunday. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I'm in, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maid servant. You've loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So as Paul is thinking about his affliction, his difficulties, he says, he come, he draws to mind, he brings to mind Psalm 116. And what he sees in the midst of that is that, that this poor man cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered him. And that even at the point of death, he is able to say, God loves me. He is for me. He walks with me. He cares for me. And even my death 
does not go unnoticed by him. In fact, my death is precious to him. It matters to him. He sees it because he cherishes me, because he is for me, and because he loves me. And so even as, as Paul sees this, uh, uh, understands the affliction and sees the difficulty that he is in, he is more than ready to say, listen, this is the way in which the Lord is at work, even in the midst of my real afflictions and my real suffering. Next slide. So secondly, what we need to see that will help us not lose heart this morning is that the glory of God is manifest in our suffering, and we have a ministry to one another precisely as we are suffering. Not one bit of our suffering is wasted. Did you hear that? Not one bit of our suffering is wasted, just as none of Jesus' suffering was wasted. Right? You see, what he sees here is we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. He says that, that, that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So what we recognize about this is, and this is not putting some kind of law of, uh, of, of the stiff upper lip upon the suffering, but what it is saying is that the theater, the, the stage whereby the glory of God is most clearly manifest to us in the lives of, of one another is in the theater of suffering, in the theater of human weakness, in the theater of human uh, inability. And so it is precisely at those places where, where I am wasting away, where I am decaying, where I am falling apart, that the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates his power and his glory through me such in such a way that he's the one that gets the glory in such a way that when people who have eyes to see it, with people who have eyes to, to see what is unseen, see the very glory of God in my pain and in my suffering and in my struggle. And the fact of the matter is no one likes to think about this, but the truth is, you know, for yourself, you almost all of us in here today can see and testify to times where we have suffered or we have loved people who have suffered and we have seen the glory of God manifest in them. We've seen the glory of God demonstrated when they are at the end of their rope, when they are struggling at the height of affliction. Right. So none of your suffering is wasted in the sense that it's pointless. When the believer suffers, it is an exercise, not just in, in, in making our character better, but in the glory of God shining through us. You know, last week we read that great passage about treasure and clay jars. You know, one of the ways that clay jars, the only way that you know that that treasure is in that clay jar is that it gets broken. That it breaks so that the treasure is most clearly seen. Thirdly, he says that we don't lose heart because in, in comparison to what awaits in terms of intensity and duration, what the resurrection of Jesus guarantees for us outweighs the pain. And so what, what, what Paul is saying here is that, the, the, uh, that what you're experiencing, the difficulty that you're experiencing, the pain and the affliction that you're experiencing is not little. It's big. It's real. It hurts. 
It is devastating at times to get a diagnosis. It is devastating to live with pain. It is devastating to live with grief. He is not minimizing that. What he is doing is he is saying, as hard as that is, as terrible as that is, as painful as that is, as as awful as it is, the weight of glory that we experience in eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ, knowing him, being known by him, and being with his people forever and ever in a place and a time where sin and death and the curse are cannot touch me and are only a memory insofar as they give weight to the glory of God, that far outweighs anything that I might experience in this life. And listen, the depth of your struggle, the depth of your suffering, the depth of the difficulty that you may be experiencing is real. Jesus knew what it was like to hurt. He knew what it was like to experience pain. And so the the, the reality of this is, this is not some kind of just pie in the sky thing. It is saying to us, it's hard, but as hard as it is, What Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to give you makes that seem like nothing. And that's the thing that we have to to rest our hearts and our souls in today. And that's why the Christian gospel is such good news, because this is not God standing apart from us shouting at us uh, that this, this is true. He comes into our world and experiences it and walks through the pain and the suffering that we uh, experience. One of the things uh, that I think is so profound about this is, is that the reason why we ultimately don't lose hope, uh, lose, lose heart, is because we have this hope of the reality of the resurrection. So um, I found this morning a good use for uh, social media, something those of you who come here regularly know I struggle to do uh, on a regular basis. Uh, and I posted on, on Marty, my wife's Facebook page, since I don't have one, uh, a, uh, a part of a sermon preached on Easter Sunday, 1622. That was before most of y'all were born. Uh, by an English Puritan pastor named John Dunn. Maybe you've heard of John Dunn. Uh, he used to be taught in high school English classes. I don't, I don't know if he is anymore or not, uh, but... He wasn't just a great poet, he was a great preacher. And uh, this is what he said on Easter Sunday, 1622. 1622, listen to this. The dead hear not thunder, nor feel they an earthquake. If the cannon batter the church walls in which they lie buried, and if you've ever been to an English church, you know that they had the weird habit of burying their dead in the church, you know? They're like right there in the floor. Uh, you, you walk on them. You, you actually sit where they're, where they're buried. You know, it's a, uh, actually pretty profound thing, really. So if the cannon were, were to batter the church walls in which they lie buried, it wakes not them, nor does it shake or affect them. But yet there is a voice which the dead shall hear. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. It is a clamor. It is, and I love this word, a vociferation, a shout. It carries a penetration and a power, a command. Since that voice at the creation said, 
let there be a world, was never heard such a voice as this, arise ye dead. You see, that's the powerful thing that we lay our hope on, and that is the powerful thing that causes us today to not lose heart because the world in which we live, the things that we see, the things that we experience, the difficulties that we have, those things do not get the final word. That voice who will call the dead from their graves, that voice who will call this universe into a new and renewed, unsin, uh, unsinned against, unsinned on, unfallen, uncursed reality, that voice is the last voice. And it is the voice that all the universe must uh, uh, obey. And that is the voice that gets the final word on your life and on my life and the life of the world to come. And so what we see here and what we we unpack with this is, is that the reality of what we proclaim, that he says that what is seen versus what is unseen. Now, we hear that and we think, well, what that means is, you know, this body and this chair and this these clothes and this kind of stuff. That's that's what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. What he means is that these things that are seen are those of the present fallen world and the things that are unseen are God's promises coming to fruition and finding their yes in Jesus. It's as, as we'll see next week, he talks about the tent that his body is, that if it decays and goes away, he is a building in the heavens from God. It's, it's seeing the reality of my body falling apart and recognizing that I, I, I live now in a tent, but one day I live in a palace. Lastly, my union with Christ. We're almost done. This is awesome. My union with Christ. And, in, and, and, and this is the thing that I think is so uh, remarkable about this text is that Paul is not saying stiffen up, get a stiff upper lip, put on a happy face. It's all going to be OK. He's not saying that at all. What he's actually saying is something much different. He's saying that because we are united to Jesus Christ, these things are true of us. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, that we are united to Christ. And because we are united to Christ, we are united to one another. And that is our identity and that is our destiny. And so as he says these things to us about our momentary and light afflictions, we, because of our union with Christ, we know that this one who raises us from the dead actually was dead, actually experienced the pains of death. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says this, Why was Christ chosen out of the people? Speak, my heart, for heart thoughts are best. Was it not that he might be able to be our brother in the blessed tie of kindred blood? Oh, what relationship there is between Christ and the believer. The believer can say, I have a brother in heaven. I may be poor. But I have a brother who is rich and is a king. And will he suffer me to want while he is on his throne? Oh, no. He loves me. He is my brother. Believer, wear this blessed thought like a necklace of diamonds around the neck of thy memory. Put it as a golden ring on the finger of recollection and use it as the king's own seal. 
stamping the petitions of thy faith with confidence of success. He is a brother born for adversity. Treat him as such. Wow, wow. Then it doesn't your heart today long in that dark place, in that lonely place, in that suffering place for a brother born for diverse, at adversity. Don't you long for that? Christ was also chosen out of the people that he might know our wants and sympathize with us. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. In all our sorrows, we have his sympathy. There is no sorrow that the believer can experience that Jesus doesn't know. Temptation, pain, disappointment, weakness, weariness, poverty. He knows them all, for he has felt all. Remember this, Christian, and let it comfort thee. However difficult uh, the valley and, and how deep the valley of the shadow of death and the deep waters of the swelling Jordan, thou wilt find his footprints there. In all places, whithersoever we go, he has been our forerunner. Each burden we have to carry has once been laid on the shoulders of Emmanuel. Take courage. Royal feet have left a blood-red track upon the road and consecrated the thorny path, your thorny path forever. So there's no place you can go, no experience you can have that Jesus Christ doesn't understand and that he doesn't sympathize with you. Listen, listen. We say, when we say the creed, that we believe that Jesus was crucified, that he died, and that he was buried. And it is important for us to say that he was buried uh, because that's where we all will end up one day, right? It's important for us to say at the center of our faith is that this Jesus goes wherever we will go, and we will go wherever this Jesus goes, and that's our hope, and that's our trust. Listen, the temptation today is to lose heart. You feel it. As beautiful as you look today on the outside, I know on the inside there's a temptation, maybe a cynical temptation, maybe an anxious temptation, maybe a broken temptation to say, I'm losing heart. And Jesus knows that. And it is precisely for people who are losing heart, who are tempted to lose heart, who are tempted to quit, who are tempted to just curl up in a fetal position and hope and pray that the world will pass them by and leave them alone. It's precisely for those people that Jesus Christ came and we proclaim today that his tomb is empty and that he, because we belong to him, gets the last word on my heart and my life and my eternity. Don't lose heart because Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, come to you today uh, expressing to you our temptation in so many ways uh, to, to lose heart.
And in fact, Lord, for, for many of us, uh, we take a kind of a perverse uh, joy out of saying that we've lost heart because our suffering is so dynamic and so profound uh, that no one uh, could uh, help but lose heart. So, Lord, we pray today that you would help us, that you would help us to see the unseen, the reality of the world that you uh, are building, the hope that we have uh, that because you have been raised from the dead, we too will be raised with you, and that that means that the suffering and the difficulty that we experience in this world, um, though real, uh, though painful and dreadful, uh, is light and momentary compared to the weight of glory of your presence, of your fellowship, of eternity with you. So help us today, Lord. Uh, I pray especially uh, for those among us who have chronic disease. I pray today especially for those who have chronic addiction. I pray today for those who have chronic sadness and depression. I pray for those today who have chronic disappointment and sadness in their lives, that because of you, Lord Jesus, they would not lose heart and that you would uh, cause them, enable them to see what is unseen and to fully entrust themselves into your hands. Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.